everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're answering a question many people ask when they read Colossians 3. What does the Bible actually say about slavery? But before we dive into that question specifically, I want to acknowledge another big idea stemming from verse 23, which says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. If you're anything like today's Devo writer, Jennifer, and honestly, like me as well, it can be easy to place our identity in what other people think about us. And I get that that sounds cliche and churchy, but it's reality. Jennifer shared a little bit of her own story. She'd run herself into the ground to keep plates spinning for her boss. That didn't impress God, and it definitely wasn't His definition of faithfulness. For me personally, I find myself devoting a lot of mental energy to how other people might be perceiving me, or how I think they could be perceiving me. And here's what that regularly looks like. I'm an Enneagram 3, so I want to achieve and be the best. When I started pursuing social media ministry, I was terrified. I know there's an appropriate level of skepticism that comes when young leaders start to enter what could become the platform ministry world. And I knew I needed strong voices of truth in my life, as do all of us. But I also knew that there were going to be people who disapproved no matter what. There was nothing I could do to get them excited about what was, for me, my next step of faithfulness. And this paralyzed me as I thought things like, coworkers will no longer respect me, now they'll just think I'm some foolish kid— Will they quit inviting me to things? Will I be excluded from conversations or meetings I used to be invited to? Are girls in our city starting to think of me differently? Or do they trust me less now that I've chosen to use social media more intentionally? Or do people raise an eyebrow when they hear my name now? I was so consumed with what other people, not my CG, not my bosses or close friends, but other people, more distant individuals thought about me, that I became anxious, afraid, and insecure. I even debated quitting altogether. I had forgotten, and sometimes still forget, what Colossians 3.23 says. I'm working for the Lord, not for the approval of man. So when I initially chose to speak up on social media, despite those ditches and, and lies I was tempted to believe, I was confident it was what the Lord was calling me to do. And the spiritual leaders in my life affirmed and supported that decision. And they still do. So even when those thoughts come creeping back in, I'm reminded of Galatians 1.10. I'm not seeking the approval of man, but of God. Jenny Allen, a member of our church, wrote a book called Get Out of Your Head. And in it, she provides a helpful way to think through unhealthy thoughts. And I found them to be specifically helpful when evaluating my attitude toward work. And she gives four steps. Grab the thought. What is it? Number two, diagnose the thought. Is it true? Number three, take it to God. What does God say about it? And number four, make a choice. Am I going to believe God? And as I reread those questions in preparation for this episode, truthfully, I was convicted. I needed to be checking my thoughts and heart posture like that more often because if I let my thoughts run wild, I either get insecure or I think less of the people around me. And when we look at the latter half of Colossians 3, verses 18 through 25, we see Paul mention several relational groups and really the thrust of the passage is how do we respect and honor one another? And in this section, we're introduced to five groups of people, wives, husbands, children, fathers, and bond servants. So let's start with wives. Wives, submit, Paul says, but be careful. He doesn't say women submit to all men. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. 
And then he says, husbands, love your wives. Back in episode 85, we got into a lot of the specifics of submission, but for the sake of time, as we remember the thrust of this pericope, that just means this section of scripture, it's respecting and honoring one another. That's the thrust. And I'll share with you the story I read in a book from Piper and Grudem. It helps capture this idea, and it goes like this. Here's what he wrote. When I was a boy growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, my father was away from home about two-thirds of the year preaching across the country. My mother handled the finances, paying all the bills. She once ran a little laundry business on the side and was active on the park board. She taught me how to cut the grass and splice electric cord and pull Bermuda grass by the roots and paint the eaves and shine the dining room table and drive a car and keep french fries from getting soggy in the cooking oil. I heard one time that women don't sweat, they glow. Not true, he wrote. My mother sweated. She dealt with the contractors when we added a basement and more than once put her hand to the shovel. She was strong. But it never occurred to me, he said, to think of my mother and my father in the same category. Unmistakably, my father was a man and my mother was a woman. When my father came home, he was clearly the head of the house. He led in prayer at the table. He called the family together for devotions. He got us to Sunday school and worship. He drove the car. He guided the family to where we would sit at church, and he made the decision to go to Howard Johnson's for lunch. He led us to the table. He called the waitress. He paid the check. He was the one we knew we would reckon with if we broke a family rule or were disrespectful to mother. These were the happiest times for our mom. Oh, how she rejoiced to have dad home. She loved his leadership. I learned that the Bible calls this submission, he says. He says, Submission didn't have anything to do with muscles or skills. It was not a matter of capabilities and competencies. It had to do with something I could never explain as a child, and I have been a long time in coming to understand it as a part of God's great goodness in creating us male and female. I know the specific rhythm of life in our home was not the only good one, but there was something very deep between my parents that ought to be there in varying ways in all mature relationships. And when I... Emma, when I read that story, I see honor and respect. The child writing, who we now know is either Grudem or Piper, the child clearly respects and appreciates his parents. That's Colossians 3.20. The mom joyfully submitted to her husband, and the husband loved the family like Christ. It's beautiful. And now, even though that's a tale of a family in the 60s, I think it resonates with us today. But the last group Paul addresses in this passage might leave room for a lot of confusion. Verse 22, bond servants or slaves, other translations say, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Some of us, we read that and we get hung up on the word slavery or bond servant asking, okay, so wait, does the Bible condone slavery? short answer is absolutely not. God's Word instructs us to see all people as image bearers. Because all people are image bearers of God, we're to treat all people, regardless of race or gender or socioeconomic status, with respect, honor, and dignity. The slavery we see in American history, beating image bearers, chasing them down after they fled in pursuit of freedom, that's terrible. Reducing an image bearer down to a material possession— an atrocity. And it definitely isn't what Paul is speaking to here. Paul is not saying, slaves, bondservants, you deserve to be whipped and beaten. That's not what he's advocating for at all. You see, culturally, 
Being a bondservant at this time looked a lot different than what modern-day Americans think when they hear the word slavery. Here's a helpful excerpt from Got Questions. The Bible does not specifically condemn the practice of slavery. It gives instruction on how slaves should be treated, like in Deuteronomy 15, 12-15, Ephesians 6-9, and again later in Colossians, Colossians 4-1. But the Bible does not outlaw slavery altogether. It's interesting. Many see this as the Bible condoning all forms of slavery. But what many fail to understand is that slavery in biblical times was very different from the slavery that was practiced in the past few centuries in many parts of the world. People actually sold themselves as slaves when they could not pay their debts or provide for their families, or when they were earning something, like when Jacob, back in the Old Testament, was earning Rachel's hand in marriage. In New Testament times, sometimes doctors, lawyers, and even politicians were slaves of someone else. Some people in the New Testament actually chose to be slaves so as to have all their needs really provided for by their masters. So it might be more helpful for us now to contextualize Paul's words as the relationship between a boss and employee. Sincerely serve your boss. Respect those in leadership over you. Honor them. That's Paul's charge. Now, when we get to the book of Philemon, we'll talk a lot more about slavery specifically. But for now, I want us all to ask ourselves if everyone around us is made in the image of God, what does it look like for us to respect and honor family members, our parents, our kids, our coworkers? That's all we've got time for today, but I am so glad we're on this journey together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.